0: Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me, as always, is the man who knows how very powerful a laugh can be, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry?
1: I'm doing great. I am actually super excited for yeah? multiple reasons. I'm excited because this is the final episode of season three 60 episodes. Look at I know, us. <laughs> crazy. I can't. I
0: know it's crazy.
1: I'm excited because we're doing a movie that both
0: you and I love. That's right, the 1988 version, uh, smash hit. There's only one version, smash hit. Uh, Who framed Roger Rabbit?
1: I yes, love. yes. And I'm ex- I'm excited because we have a returning guest for us. Our returning guest is Taj Whitecell. Taj studied. Taj studied film at the NYU Tisch School of the Arts. She started her career working doing art department for commercials, music videos, and feature films. After getting her master's in writing from Spalding University, she pivoted to tech and now works as a lead content designer
2: for Facebook and Meta. Welcome, Taj! Yay! I'm glad to be back. This is also one of my favorite movies.
1: Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, you were the one who suggested it, and then we both yeah. got, we, we were all very excited to do it, and we're excited to do it with you. It's yes. going to be so fun. I'm happy to be here
2: to talk yes. about yes. Roger Rabbit.
0: <laughs> well, okay. let's go ahead and get some key facts out of the way. So, um, and this was news to me. I was not aware that Who Framed Roger Rabbit was an adaptation, uh, mm-hmm. it, but it is. It's an adaptation of a spoof mystery novel. Uh, written by Gary Wolf in about 1981. It was called Who Censored Roger Rabbit? And in that book, Eddie is still the hard-boiled private detective, right? And Roger Rabbit is still a comic strip character, but he doesn't have much talent. Uh, The difference in this story is Roger is murdered in his home, Mm -hmm. and Eddie tries to figure out who did it. And in Wolf's world, tunes have the power to create stunt
1: doubles of themselves,
0: that yes. disintegrate after a while. And that plays into how that
1: particular story uh, plays out. I actually I actually want to point out to our audience here, there are two books who censored Roger Rabbit. And I think the other one might be uh, who framed Roger Rabbit or who murdered Roger Rabbit. And I want to let you know if you're thinking, oh, what a delightful romp for me to read to my child. These books <laughs> are not for children. Right. Uh, I. Uh, I can tell you in the most strongest terms, this is not a family fun read. Read it as a curiosity for yourself, but do not share with youngsters. Smart. Okay. Well, Disney had the film rights
0: for who censored Roger Rabbit for several years. And Jeffrey Price and Peter Seaman put together two passes of the script before Disney brought in executive producer Steven Spielberg. You may have heard of him. I have. (laughs) Um, Harrison Ford was actually Spielberg's original choice for Roger Rabbit, but his salary was a little steep for the $30 million budget that they had, which was the biggest in animation history to that date. Other people considered uh, to be Eddie were Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, Eddie Murphy, Robin Williams, Robert Redford, Jack Nicholson, uh, Sylvester Stallone, Wallace Shawn, Ed Harris uh Charles Groden and Don Lane.
1: Oh my gosh, there is a multiverse of who framed Roger Rabbit movies <laughs> with each of those in it and I kind of I kind of want to universe hop and see what each one is like. They they feel I, very different.
0: Yeah, you kind of want to watch the uh the uh reels on those, huh? Um however, Bob Hoskins ended up being cast as Eddie Valiant because he had the chops for the project. Which was going to require interfacing with tunes who weren't actually there, right? And actually, he, Eddie Eddie Murphy said he he couldn't get his head wrapped around that and totally like because they were like, "What do you mean I'm going to be talking to somebody who wasn't there?" And then and then he regretted it later. He was like, "Oh, now I get what you're talking about."
1: <laughs> um, I have to imagine it's a big challenge for your scene partner to be like we're going to put our, your scene partner in in post. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's got to be tough. Uh, oh yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. And 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 I will say Bob Hoskins believe very believably acts this out. So I'm, I think I'm everyone the does. Time. So
1: good. A plus casting throughout with the humans. They they really look like they believe in the world that they're in. 100%. Yeah, I mean
2: the commitment is what sells it, right? Like I can't imagine anyone other than Bob Hoskins because he has that perfect mix of like kind of goofy but also like a surly, angry guy.
0: <laughs> yes, oh, he's so and good. he's just
2: like pitch perfect in it. I feel like
0: yes, oh, yes, agree, agree. So director Robert Zemeckis said he wanted three things from this movie. He wanted Disney articulation in terms of believability, emotional weight, the fluidity of animation, that kind of thing. Uh, he wanted Warner Brothers characterization because those characters are zanier and do more interesting things, he thought. And he wanted Tex Avery's humor, the slapstick kind of fun. Um, Zemeckis really marveled at the way every member of the cast and crew did their very best work to pull this movie off. They had to invent a lot of the technology during production. Uh, production took two and a half years, and the animation team worked seven days a week with only Christmas off to get this movie done. Oh. So, yeah, it was a it it was all hands on deck, and uh, it was a, it sounds like a grind. Um, but you know,
1: thankfully they did it. Yeah, I'm I'm glad we have it. I I just want to take a moment of silence to observe for the the labor practice that probably should not have been perpetuated to give it to us.
0: (laughs) True, true. All right. So Michael Eisner and Roy Disney both felt the movie was a little on the blue side for the Disney brand, Uh, but (laughs) but Zemeckis (laughs) had Final Cut privileges in his contract. So Roy Disney and Jeffrey Katzenberg thought the movie was okay to release as a touchstone picture. And so Zemeckis got the movie he set out to make, which is, and good for us. Um, yes, agreed. Mel Blank voiced Bugs, Daffy, Porky Pig, Tweety Bird, and Sylvester the Cat. It was one of the last productions for him to voice his beloved Looney Tunes characters before his death in 1989, which is a year later after this movie was released. And the movie won four Academy Awards: one for film editing which it should have, (laughs) one for sound effects editing, one for best visual effects, again, blew everything else out of the water, and a special achievement award for Richard Williams, who directed the animation.
1: Can you imagine being one of the runners up that year and going in for the Academy, going up for the awards and just being like, you know what? I know it's not me. (laughs) How could it be me? (laughs) It's zero to be nominated. It's zero suspense. It's not happening. And that's all I got. <laughs> all right, then let us dive into this movie. Uh, this movie has a super fun Tana. And since we're ending season three, it's worth going over the Tana again. Uh, during the Jewish holiday of Passover, uh, during the Seder, we ask the question, uh, Manishtana Halayla hazeh. uh, why is this night different from all other nights? And when we apply this question to a movie, what we ask is, why does this movie start at this moment? Why is this the special moment we begin our movie? And uh, good news does not open with an alarm clock. Instead, <laughs> this movie this movie begins in a cartoon. It almost feels like it's the short before the cartoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see Roger Rabbit... Uh, you know, is assigned by an unseen from the from the from the neck up mother to take care of cute little baby Herman. Uh, We get a very Looney Tunes style cartoon uh, in which lots of knives and other dangerous things happen to baby Herman. Uh, And then once a refrigerator is dropped on Roger's head, and the refrigerator is open, revealing Roger's head, uh, and a bunch of bluebirds are are flying around his head. We hear a director go, "Cut!" and Roger is berated. The script didn't say uh, flying bluebirds; it said stars, and he's ruined the take. Why do we begin the movie in this way, guys?
2: I think it's a really good setup for, like, the world we're about to enter, right? Like, it's sort of a fake-out, right? It gives us a sense of the type of cartoons of that era. And then it does this really cool, like, surprise, we're in the real world and cartoons exist in the real world cut. That is, like, technically very impressive, too, because then it suddenly just shifts, like, because the, like... uh, Refrigerator is suddenly real and Roger's a cartoon and then you have real people involved and it kind of really sets the tone for what the rest of this movie is going to feel like, in my opinion.
1: I I think that's right. I think it also lets us know that the cartoon characters as we know them may not match who they really are. Um, and uh, I, I, I think as shocking as the cut moment is, uh, baby Herman going, "What the heck is wrong with that tape?" Uh, and suddenly not being Gaga Goo Goo anymore really lets us know whatever you think the world of cartoons and humans are, it is more complicated than that.
0: Yeah, when the baby marches off the set and lights up a stogie, like we know we're in a whole <laughs> new world, right? Um, it. And the, the neat thing about this beginning, uh, just to kind of piggyback off of Taj a little bit, I think it's one of the most brilliant movie beginnings ever. And we get an actual reversal. We think we're getting one thing, but we're really getting something else. And it's, it is, it's this great introduction to the tune world and ha- sets up how it interfaces with the human world. And then, you know, we get to see Eddie in that world too. And you know he's like Tunes, and we know in that Tunes line, we know everything we need to know about him. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It re- also reminds me a lot of the beginning of Monsters Inc, with that same reversal where we have a child being attacked by a monster, Ooh, and then only, parallel, and then only to see the child scare the monster, and then we realize oh it was just a simulation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that reversal at the beginning, I think it would be really hard to pull off. But once it's there, I'm all
1: in. And, and uh, Toy Story 2 has, has a very similar opening with Buzz Lightyear in the video game, right? right exactly, but, yeah. But that's interesting because we can trace it back to this movie. Maybe we can trace it further back if we put our heads together. I don't, I don't think it's worth doing. But, but definitely there's a straight line from Roger Rabbit to those Pixar movies, 100%. Mm. Yeah. All right. So, moving us through plot, and I'm going to get us through plot, I hopefully relatively quickly, because I think we have a lot more to talk about than that. And also, plot is pretty good here, guys. Um, so, So, we get some exposition, but what's interesting about the exposition is the exposition, while we haven't gotten to an inciting incident yet, the exposition is... I want to say a moving exposition. I don't mean emotionally moving. There is a forward thrust. There's an energy to the way in which the exposition is being delivered. Uh-huh. Because as we're learning about Eddie Valiant, just walking through that world, we're getting a sense of what that world is like. A bunch of characters from Fantasia have, have are, are here. there's a bunch of there's a bunch of animals who cows at a cattle call, about to, uh, getting ready to do an audition. Um, like just walking through the world. They're showing us the world without explicitly telling us all the rules. It's up to us to pick up the rules under which this universe works as we go. We learn things about Eddie. We learn that he's got, uh, probably a drinking problem. We learn that he's got a He's got a chip on his shoulder regarding regarding tunes where everybody else seems to love them. Eddie's the only one who's like looking at them, and, and there's a bitterness that he feels towards them, a prejudice of some sort. And uh, you know,
0: Larry, we would almost hate him, except for one little bit. And again, it's another reversal. He goes out to catch the train. He has the check, right? He shows <laughs> the check to the guy, and he goes, what, do I look like a bank, right? And he ends up hopping the back of the train, and here comes this kid, and he's late, and he pulls the kid up there and alongside him. And, and it's, that's a save like, the, it's a save the cat moment. It, it is. And it's like, okay, he's not, it, it, but he's not like
1: all bad. There's he something redeemable out- about him. Yeah. He looks out for the little guy. Even mm-hmm. when we see that montage of newspapers, mm-hmm. we realize that whatever's wrong with him is not something that was always wrong with him. He rescued Huey, Dewey and Louie from kidnappers. He right. cleared Goofy of spy, spy charges. charges. You know. <laughs> uh
2: i that's true. i, I i'm of sure if we, gags.
1: <laughs> oh for sure i am sure that if we, we we got into that story we'd find out that goofy was just actually a useful idiot and not a spy um in in but but uh but he like he has a history of like saving people and it is only relatively recently that he's become the person that he is now uh So I'm gonna throw out, there's a couple of places where we could put inciting incident. Uh, I actually don't care much which one you guys land on because I think they're both equally good answers. Uh, Anybody here uh, got a favorite uh, contender for inciting incident?
0: Well, when Arcane Maroon hires Eddie and sets him on the trail of Jessica, I think that brings uh, Eddie back into the Toon world reluctantly um that that's probably you know this plot is basically chinatown oh for sure um uh, and uh, which is awesome if you've not seen chinatown i mean don't show it to your kids but like this is the uh, it is if it's possible to have a film noir comedy we have it here right um but yeah i think it's that moment where where eddie is brought into this world that he reluctantly doesn't want to be
1: in, but he needs the money. So I I think that's a fantastic answer. Probably my answer as well, but I think there is a second answer to this. Uh,
2: Yeah. I was going to say there's like a combo there of like Roger finding out about Jessica. And then that sort of sets off the series of events that gets him in trouble. Right. So like, yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly it, Taj,
1: because that's the other one. And it all depends. Listen, I believe Eddie to be the primary protagonist of this. Uh, But Roger is a close second. This is a buddy comedy. Both of them get inciting incidents. Eddie's inciting incident is taking the job in the first place. Roger's inciting incident is when he is confronted with pictures of his wife's Infidelity? Question mark. Um, but but <laughs> with the it crossed
0: the line for Roger. So. <laughs>
1: yes, yes. So so you know for both of them, without either one of these inciting incidents, we don't get a movie. If Eddie doesn't take the job, if if Roger doesn't uh, fly off the handle, neither, we don't get a movie either way. Um, so that's inciting incident, and then. We get all sorts of fun film noir tropes. We learn that, like, Eddie's got a, you know, a girl with the heart of gold. We've got Jessica Rabbit as like the femme fatale., uh, Roger uh, convinces Eddie that he's been framed. It looks like there's a much bigger conspiracy going on. There's some detective work, question mark. uh but but, like things. You tend to fall into place, you know. They they do the standard uh, film noir tropes. You know, Eddie immediately comes up with a theory that that work that's good enough to get him on the case, uh, so that he accepts the quest. But he quickly learns that that uh, working theory he had as to what's going on is not true. Um, Eddie Eddie and Roger have a series of misadventures. They get separated, and. And along the way, they meet Judge Doom, who also seems to be working the case uh, from a separate angle, but we don't quite trust him. Uh, and ultimately, everybody converges on Toontown. What would you guys, I, I, I'm giving it in broad strokes here because I don't, I don't actually think we need to unpack it more than that. It, it, really, is, it really is a straight line throughout this whole movie. Uh, that being said, what do you guys like for the climax of Who Framed Roger Rabbit?
2: Probably when they're tied up right in the warehouse, maybe mm-hmm. as like, "Hey, we're things are looking bad, right? <laughs> like it looks like Toontown's about to get wasted." Um, and then, and that's sort of the moment where. Eddie, who has been going through the whole thing sort of humorless, has to like dig within himself for this moment at the end to sort of turn things around, right? No, I think that's
1: exactly yeah, that's exactly it. And what's nice about this climax, and again, you know, I'm immediately drawing a parallel to Toy Story here. Is well, what they do actually is they stack climax after climax after climax, really building up. For me. The most exciting part of the movie is watching Eddie in Toontown running around, uh, rubbing rubbing shoulders with Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse and Tweety Bird and Droopy Dog. Like that, that for me really is like the exciting part. But then they're like, "How do we top that? We top that? uh, Oh my gosh! uh, You know, Jessica and Eddie are about to be murdered in the warehouse. Roger comes to save the day. But we can top that. Roger and Jessica are now in danger." Eddie's got to defeat the weasels. But we can top that because now he's got to fight Judge Doom. And even after Judge Doom is defeated, we got to save Roger and Jessica before they get like dipped. It is, every time we think we've gotten to the top of the mountain, we get, we see, oh no, there's another peak. Uh, We got to keep climbing for, for a bit more. And the stakes feel increasingly more tense as opposed to last week, Andy and I did Hercules, and we're like, "Oh, so they just saved the universe? Uh, now Hercules has to go rescue his girlfriend." The stakes—the stakes have gotten the stakes were as high as they could be, and then we're like, "When they we're looking, and like, eh, I guess we can have like another smaller climax." This is up, 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 all the way up, and until the very last moment when all the characters crawl through the hole, uh, like, like. We're, we're now, that's when we feel relief. That's when they let right. us take a breath. Right. And then we get some falling action. And in that falling action, it's very clear Roger and Jessica have worked through whatever <laughs> it is that is the issue in their marriage. They've worked it through and they're together. Eddie. Uh, Has a moment where he he demonstrates that his change is permanent. Uh, Roger hits him with the joy buzzer. The Eddie at the beginning of the movie might have like tossed Roger towards the dip, but this Eddie (laughs) uh, responds in cartoonish fashion and gives Roger a big smackaroo on the lips. Um, And the people and everyone in Toontown is safe forever because Eddie does one little last bit of detective work and finds Marvin Acme's will, where. Toontown is left to all of the tunes, and we really do get a happy ever after slash Porky Pig origin story, where Porky Pig, uh, I guess <laughs> in his chronology, discovers the phrase "abadia abadia abadia." That's all, folks, and says, "Hey, I like that."
0: Right, um, and also the smile, darnya smile song, which is great.
1: I love it. Right, that comes back <laughs> at the end too. Um, and yeah. and we leave the movie, and we're happy. And I don't know that we need to see anything more than that, except m- maybe, maybe a little bit more of Eddie and, and Grace, maybe. um, I don't know. Or I don't Eddie know and that's Dolores? It. Dolores? Ed, Dolores. I don't know why Dolores. I called her Grace. Uh, Eddie, Eddie and Dolores, maybe I uh, but I don't know. that might be that might be too much, too too sentimental. And I kind of had the sense earlier that they were going to end up together anyway, so it's all good. It's yeah. all good, and we're happy.
2: And we're yeah. happy. My main note was just like, I mean, it's just really tight storytelling. They don't waste anything in this. No, in the whole film. Every joke that's dropped, every hint that's laid, is paid off at mm-hmm. some point in the course of it. Like we learn what happens to Eddie's brother. All of it, and it all of is wrapped up into the main plot. So it never felt. It never feels like we're meandering anywhere. Everything happens just like everything gets resolved. Everything.
1: All of I mean, all of the gags that they show us at the beginning in the warehouse, the portable hole, the the hammer that that extends in uh, the extending hammer, and the singing sword, they all come back too. Andy.
0: Yeah, I mean, R.K. Maroon has that moment where uh, he's when we first meet him, he's editing a film, right, with that antique. Well, it's not antique for the time, but yeah, it's a it's a. They're, they're literally cutting the actual film strip uh, and, and, it, that, and he ends up getting hung by it. I mean, it's kind of a crazy, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's the thing, you know, he's irritating that guy and I, I don't know, maybe some film editor was like, you know what we ought to do. <laughs>
1: like, Oh, for sure!
0: <laughs> I know how to kill the producer.
1: The um, warehouse <laughs> we see at the beginning, where where the first murder takes place, is also where we end up at the end, and and mm-hmm. a an attempted second murder happens. Uh, everything comes, everything from the beginning comes back to us at the end. That that's great. Yeah, that's it's so great. That's good.
0: Let's talk about characters. Uh, Eddie Valiant uh, is. Of course, Bob Hoskins. And would you guys say he's the protagonist of this movie? I
1: do. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
2: I say he's definitely, I mean, he's the one who changes, right? Roger doesn't really go through a change through the course. No. But I I do feel like Roger's sort of the protagonist that you want, like you want him to be the protagonist because you love him so much. But uh, Eddie is the one who, who goes through the change. He starts out humorless, right? And then the whole arc is like, roger teaching him how to be funny to laugh to be happy again right yeah yeah i think they're really playing a lot with that hard-boiled detective
0: stereotype with him um and i think they're having a lot of fun with with the genre um like I, yeah I, we want to see eddie win at least i do um the shadows in his office are interesting, and I think that the play with that—I mean, you could write a whole paper on how shadows are used in this movie. Um, the dust covering his brother's desk—he hasn't touched it, um, right? He he wants it to be exactly the way it was. The photos—it's uh, magic, and it really does bring to mind this, uh, uh, like a Bogart noir, or like I said, Chinatown. It feels, uh, and and you know, but. I think watching his face, there's so much subtext on Bob Hoskins' face. Like, this is a master class in acting. And I think a lesser person would have maybe played the character a lot more flat. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely a lot of layers to to Eddie Valiant.
1: I, I think, considering that this is a movie that is teen-rated, but you know little kids are going to go see it, Right, you, you know they're coming because it's cartoons. Uh, they do a great job of, of setting him up as someone who has been arrested in a moment of trauma without taking us to too dark a place where we're actually examining that trauma. He's doing the work for us in his performance, and we can watch and still feel comfortable uh, in the movie that like like it's all, it's all interior. And so the kids watching it don't have to have any of it made explicit. And I think that's that absolutely masterclass in acting from him there. Mm-hmm.
2: It's also like a really good masterclass in um, exposition of showing, not telling, because we learn about what happened to his brother through these like visuals, right, in the, in the office. It t- the office tells us everything we need to know about what happened to him, what trauma he's going through, without ever having to like him to go talk to someone about it or go in depth about it.
0: Well, and and we also have the characters around him saying things like, you know, a tune killed his brother. And when like that led, it's a lead balloon, like it drops like a, like it drops like a piano, right? It really does. And there's gravity toward it because it's like, we want to like him, but we're kind of conflicted. But then when we hear a tune, killed his brother. It's like, oh, that makes sense. Awesome. Then when he says it later to Roger, a tune killed my brother.
1: It may be the like first it, time he's ever articulated. He's he's ever said it out loud. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wanna I wanna call out the scene in which he looks at the undeveloped pictures in his in his camera of his and Dolores' trip to I think it was Catalina, uh, mm-hmm. and we see we see the playful just in the photos the photo fo- that photo work is so good the expression on his face the fact that they're having a good time and then the pictures of him and his brothers goofing around it tells us. Everything about mm-hmm. what he's lost by losing his brother i i also I also think you just pinpointed for me, Andy. um the thing that changes with Eddie is that he conf- he confesses his feelings to Roger. Mm-hmm. Roger is there to hear him and and I think maybe you know he realizes the generalized anger he had towards all tunes, like Roger is upset for him. Roger right. cries right. and says, no, no wonder you hate me. And Ro- this is the great part. Roger takes the blame. In a movie called Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah. Eddie has framed Roger for the murder of his brother in his mind. his Oh my gosh, I'm exploding. I'm exploding. Eddie, has- Eddie ha- is blaming Roger for his brother's death. Roger mm-hmm. didn't do it. And yet when Eddie accuses Roger of it in, in by saying like, this is why I don't like tunes, Roger fully accepts the blame. And then Eddie realizes what he's done and how it's wrong. If, if Roger, what he wants Roger to do is he wants Roger to defend himself. Maybe say, I didn't do it. it," uh, Defensive. Absolutely. So they can have an argument and and Eddie can throw him out. That's the moment. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Guys, guys, I'm going to need a moment. Um, (laughs) Wow. Well,
0: the other thing that strikes me with the photos is that those photos are now his tunes. They're now his art, right? His brother is now a tune, in a way. His relationship with Dolores is now uh, two-dimensional.
1: Only exists on film
0: now. He only exists in film. That's right. That's right. And so I thought that was really, like, that moment hit me it hit me really hard, actually. I started kind of like crying along with him. I'm like, I get it. I get it. Uh there's a again, there's a depth to this movie that um I don't think you expect. And uh dang, it's so good. So so good. Let's talk about Roger Rabbit. Uh the probably about I think it's safe to say that Roger Rabbit is the most non noir character there has ever been. Um oh, I mean course. he's 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 like, uh, he's kind of like Curly in Chinatown, sort of. Uh, But he's also insane. (laughs) He's (laughs) crazy and busts through blinds. And he does all the things that a good Tom and Jerry cartoon would expect him to. I mean, he is Tom and
1: Tom and Jerry feels like to me. Well, I mean, he just doesn't accept the role that the movie wants to cast him in. Like, I I love the bit where Eddie says, so in a in a bit of jealous rage, uh, more upset than you've ever been, you decide to write your wife a love poem. (laughs) And he's like, it was the only thing to do. You know, like, (laughs) that's what he was driven to do. Uh, He's pure of heart.
2: He's he really he's zany but he's so pure of heart. It's also like a really sweet moment where you get the the sense at the Ink and Paint Club when he's talking to Betty Boop. He's like, "Roger, she's married to Roger Rabbit." And Betty goes, "Ain't she a lucky girl?"
1: Right. Right. Then he like, looks at them catch. and goes, "Yes." Right. Right. <laughs> "Jessica right. married up." Right? Yeah. Yes. No, right. I completely I com- I completely see that. Here's the thing I want to say about Roger. I don't know that Roger's full arc is actually realized with this character but i think it gets realized with another disney character a few years down the line in the disney afternoon which is i think what should happen to roger roger you know they talk early on about how roger's heart just isn't in making cartoons anymore and what i i think if if i had a a little carte blanche to to change this a little bit I think Roger should be Eddie's new permanent partner. Oh, interesting! Um, I, I, yeah. I think I think it's now Valiant and Rabbit. You know, and that's oh, that that's what great. I was thinking. Yeah. Down the line, we're going to get that series, not with Roger, but with Bonkers on the Disney afternoon. I've I i do not know I don't know, but you touch. I'm willing to bet it's true. I've always thought about Bonkers as the natural extension of the Roger Rabbit universe. Interesting. Uh, those who are not familiar with it, the, the premise of Bonkers is there was a famous cartoon star in Toontown who one day realized he wanted to actually be a police officer in the human world and and changes his career. He completely changes his priorities. He's still a Toon, but he's, he's navigating that space between Toontown and the human world. So uh, even if I don't get it here, Disney gives it to me eventually, a complete arc for Roger Rabbit. Cool.
0: Okay, so Jessica Rabbit, uh, Roger's wife, uh, voiced by Kathleen Turner, who is uncredited for some reason, not sure why, and Amy Irving, uh, <clears throat> who does the singing voice. Uh, Jessica's character makes me think of Gilda. Uh, it's a 1946 uh, Rita Hayworth movie uh, where there's no, in both movies, there's uh, both Jessica and Gilda. There's nothing subtle about their sex appeal at all. And, and you gotta wonder what she's <laughs> doing with a goofy guy like Roger. But again, Betty Boop answers that question. he's a catch. Right?
2: Well, she says she goes, uh, I love him because he makes me laugh.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: She says I, it I, is. She also I love the line um, I'm not evil. I'm just drawn that way. It's one of my
1: yeah she has so yeah. many great lines. my my yeah. favorite line, I have two favorite lines. Um, my favorite line that I that's still in the movie. Is at one point um, Eddie says about Roger, better lover than he is a, a driver, huh? And then Jessica says, "Oh, you better believe, believe it." it. <laughs> that's that's a great that's a great line. I am oh. convinced somewhere <laughs> in my memory, and I think this is actually possibly a faulty memory. There is a line that I believe happened. It just may not be true. Uh, where um, where when they're tied by zip by dip. Jessica says to Roger uh you're the greatest lover I've ever had and then Ro- and then Roger goes "really?" and then Jessica says "much better than goofy." And it yes. feels to yes. it feels to me like that line has been sanitized and changed. So now they like like that was so brave and he says and he says to her "really?" and she says "so that that was amazing and so much, better, and than so much better than goofy." But but it's not funny in the way that it cu- currently is, not the way that I remember it. From, right. But maybe I'm wrong. I tried to find research about this, could not find it. So maybe my demented brain created that. Do you guys have a memory of that from the first time? <laughs> no. I
0: do. I do, actually. But I don't, yeah, I don't. That's funny. It wasn't the this time.
2: Huh? Yeah, I will say I was uh, six when I first saw this movie. So a lot of the humor went right over my head As it should. (laughs) To when I was an adult and I heard jokes like, is that a rabbit in your pocket? Are you just happy to see me? And I was like, Oh, I get it now. It's not just because there's a rabbit in his coat.
1: (laughs) All I'm saying, all I'm saying is I'm I am this close to discovering who Max's mom is. And I just need (laughs) one or two more clues. And you think it's Jessica Rabbit. It It could be. be. It could be.
0: I have a question for you guys. Why is Jessica so into Marvin Acme?
1: I could not parse that.
2: They said, right, it was, um, she was set up because they said they were going to ruin Roger's career if she didn't pose for the photos. Mar- ah. uh, maroon set it up. So this is all the convoluted like shady uh Chinatown-esque stuff that's happening that I think mm-hmm. is hard to follow, but we also it don't is. care. Yeah, nobody cares.
0: <laughs> like
2: you really just care what happens to Eddie and Roger. So yeah, so she tells Eddie at some point they have a confessional moment where she's like I did it because uh Maroon said he would ruin Roger's career. That's right. Okay. It's- yeah.
1: It's Schrodinger's adultery, guys. It's, it's, (laughs) it both is and is not cheating because obviously the pictures are of patty cake, but the response to the, and, and Eddie looks at them and sees patty cake, but to, to Roger, it symbolizes something else. It is, it is, she, she both cheated and did not cheat on him. And, and we are free to take whatever interpretation from it that we would like.
0: That's right. So the why don't you do right song, uh, It's actually a song from this period. Uh, The biggest cover was from Peggy Lee and Benny Goodman in 1942. But I think they were emulating Lil Green. If you're familiar with Lil Green, if you listen to that song, I think you're going to notice that she's probably Jessica's biggest influence. So I'll just just leave that there. Uh, Judge Doom and Christopher Lloyd. Golly, what an actor, right? I think he's a foil. I think he's a foil for Eddie. I agree. Uh, Can you and talk I think about this that? Is, this is one of the most perfect examples of a foil of all the things we've talked about, Larry, and people, and foiling. Um, Judge Doom, like like Eddie, hates tunes, right? Judge Doom really hates tunes.
1: He does
0: uh, to the point where he's re- he's willing to execute them on site. No, no, no due process, no nothing, right? Um, and I think Eddie ha- reconsiders his own hatred because of the way Judge Doom. Axe. i
1: i i think that is exactly right that that judge doom symbolizes the ultimate extension of if eddie gets consumed by his bitterness towards tune Toon, tunes who he would become he would be at least the mask version uh of judge doom okay. uh the one who picks up this cute little shoe and 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 puts it into oh, death which, which what a moment yeah that, <laughs> If you, you didn't, know, hate, if you me, didn't
2: know he was a bad guy from just the entire look that they have given him, that moment you know what? Just what's it.
1: even worse about that moment is there's another shoe that was made to match it. Who has to go through eternity by itself now? Who's going to hire one shoe? <gasps> right? Sorry, uh, it's the it's worst. it's so cruel. This is a shoe with a family. Um d- anyway. Yeah, I mean it, I you know, I think it's hilarious
0: too how Judge duke's evil plot is to purchase Do- Toontown to build the first <laughs> freeway. freeway. <laughs> and the best line ever is like saying that there's going to be no more traffic jams. Oh yes. Like that is the best. I mean it's just so like uh so funny. I when and, he goes, "My god, it'll be glorious." <laughs> I love I love that. <laughs> So Christopher Lloyd, so fantastic.
2: Gas stations as far as the eye can see. <laughs>
1: Billboards, <laughs> right? I see a space where people can get in and off the freeway, and they stop for a hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Um, you know the
0: uh, the big reveal, of course, is that he's not only is not only is he a tune, he's the tune that killed Eddie's brother. Yeah, and so. Wow, mm-hmm. I, I think the first time I saw that, I didn't really see that he was that t- that he was a tune. Um, although it's seated throughout the entire movie, he's got Wait, weasels. He's-, he's got weasels who are tunes who are following him. And like, why are they following him? They're tunes too. You
1: when know? they spill the dip in the bar, he mm-hmm. jumps away from it. Yeah, yeah he, he shouldn't need to. It might right. ruin his shoes, maybe, but he has a fearful reaction to the dip that's even the fact that that tune shoe cuddles up to him like that's like that's like the kids like he recognizes like oh this is this is my this is another tune just like me like he senses it on some level the way a dog might sense a scent Again, it's so
0: subtle. Like, it's subtle that I think to a a younger audience, a teen audience, tween audience, they might go, he's the tune all along, right? Yes. (laughs) It's good. I love it.
1: Uh, The Weasels. Larry, you wanted to talk about the Weasels. I do want to talk about the Weasels, specifically the fact that they were created to be an evil version of the Seven Dwarfs uh <gasps> all all five of them are designed as like there were originally seven of them designed they cut it down to five but their <laughs> leader is designed to be doc the one who's telling the other ones to do uh the uh, one who the one who keeps hitting himself over the head is dopey, dopey. Right? Yeah. uh the one who keeps wheezing is sneezy uh, they they really are meant to be the vice character versions of who the seven dwarfs would be. Uh, and they realized they only
0: needed five.
1: <laughs> well, I mean that that change that changes down along the way, so it, it may uh-huh. not read anymore. But knowing that detail makes me a little happier about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I always stumbled upon, but I always get over, is why these tunes can die. One of the rules. Uh, that was set up is the only there's no way to kill a tune until Judge Doom came up uh, with the idea of dip. but apparently they have cousins, the hyenas who died laughing died, yeah. and they themselves have this mortality issue where they'll die if they laugh too much they'll die. I don't really care it doesn't ruin the movie for, for me but but like if I'm gonna nitpick I always wondered about that.
0: Dolores, uh, Joanna Cassidy's great character. Um, she was part of the team uh, who created Valiant and Valiant. Yes. I mean. uh, the Which kind of, and I think she genuinely misses who Eddie was. Sometimes you wonder why, why, you know, at first you wonder with her, like, why is she with him? And then you're like, oh, she's not with him. She's with the guy he used to be.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, she's the girl with the heart of gold, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, There's, I
2: mean, there's a lot of setup for who Eddie used to be. I, one of the lines I really like is when he goes to the warehouse, and the guy's like, Didn't you used to be Eddie Valiant? Didn't you change your name to Jack Daniels? So we get a sense of like he's fallen pretty far, but she's still stuck by him, you know, she's still helping him to some degree, she gets reluctantly.
1: She gets upset when she thinks she catches him with Jessica. Uh, Mm -hmm. That is a betrayal to her, Um, you know, Uh, but Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah. So so I guess what I said earlier, I still want a little bit of closure there, but uh, I in my heart, I know it's coming. I I know he's going to show up and I know he's going to sweep her off her feet and I know they'll be together. I, I I go back and forth about whether or not I actually need to see that happen.
0: But Well, there's a principle of three that doesn't get doesn't happen because they she and Eddie nearly kiss twice and they're interrupted and you'd like her to see that third one, but we don't.
1: Yeah. I guess they're just no with so no way that- of getting her to the warehouse and the warehouse is where the movie has to end. Yeah. Um, but it, it would be nice. It would be nice.
0: If there's a flaw in this movie, I wish she had more to do. Um I you know, again, just yeah. great for no morning, other reason. So. Yeah, oh, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Could have been really flat, wasn't it? let's talk about baby Herman.
1: <laughs> I like baby <laughs> Herman. Taj, do you want to leave this one? What what have you got on baby?
2: Yeah, I just I mean, I I think we touched on a little bit in the intro where we Get to see the contrast between the goo goo gaga and then, like, later in the movie when he's in the stroller and he's like, Go get me a racing paper toots. <laughs> and, like, you're like, Is that his mother? Is that his girlfriend? Like, I can't tell because he's a 50 year old with a three year old dinky.
1: <laughs> right.
2: So it's just like, I, I he's, he, but he's also like cares about Roger. He's like going out on a limb to try to like protect him and and clear his name. Um
1: yeah. That's I a great moment. We
2: don't we don't get much of Baby Herman after that. But the fact
1: that he's like, Roger's my pal and I know he mm-hmm. didn't do it, uh it cements a place in my heart for baby Herman. I think what baby Herman really brings to this is a clue about Jessica. Uh Roger pretty much what we see and what is what we get. But with Baby Herman What we see is definitely like he isn't he is a performer when he gets on the camera, he takes on a role. And it is a clue that Jessica, though she's drawn bad, uh, drawn like a bad guy, bad gal, uh, you know, could be a completely different person. And we shouldn't assume, you know, there's a lot about the male gaze going on with Jessica that maybe we don't have time to unpack, but that we shouldn't make assumptions. No one can control how they're drawn. Right. That is he, he lets us know that through his portrayal. Uh these 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 tunes have souls.
0: The the other thing about Baby Herman for me, like he is the one who convinces Eddie that Roger's innocent. So he helps he's he's almost a story engine. Um, but in that way, he also appeals to Eddie's former life as a tune protector. Mm-hmm. Because once upon a time you used to do this, and so he's kind of a callback for Eddie to be like, you know, you, you've got this inside you. Let's see it. Um, So yeah, I like him a lot. Benny the cab.
1: Oh, Benny. (laughs) Uh, Benny's fun. I mean, my favorite moment with Benny is when Roger's driving the car like a maniac and Benny whose wheels have been touched with dip says, move over. I'm driving. And we see a car driving a car beautiful oh, that's, that's great
0: <laughs> there are so many scenes with benny the cab that i w- have been wondering how did they do that like how is eddie driving the car right. how is yeah yeah how does that what how did that work well you know what was that
2: uh, i yeah. feel like i've seen like Making ofs, where it's like a, it's just like a go kart with nothing else, and like just a steering wheel, right? And then they. Get, oh,
1: really? Yeah, and and they I, just I, I think maybe over it. a statue of Roger uh, sitting yeah. in the go kart next to him. So, so. Uh, yeah, they had like a weird know,
2: rubber Roger that they had on set that was like the right height and size, so that
1: he would always know where to make eye contact. Yeah. Right. Oh, interesting. Oh. Interesting. RK Maroon, uh, Alan
0: Tilburn. Uh, you know he exploits tunes as sweet as Dumbo. Like, how do you exploit Dumbo? Make him work for peanuts, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, he he's an opportunist, so it's not surprising to me that he's in on the Cloverleaf scandal. Uh,
1: and yeah, what do we what do we think? He's a foil for Marvin Acme. I think. I think I Acme. Is the person who legitimately loves cartoons and gets murdered, and I mm-hmm. think R.K. Maroon is the person who who monetizes them, uh, mm-hmm. and and you know when you look at the two of them together, you know once what I think once Acme is off, it is only a matter of time before Maroon is off. They are they are opposite sides of the same coin, mm-hmm. you know. I think I think Marvin Acme. I I'm I'm putting the two of them together. I hope that's okay. Go ahead. No, uh, go ahead. I think Marvin Acme represents that kind of person who wants to be a tune. You do you, you know? Like, yeah. like if he could, he would he would transform himself into one. Um and w- Maroon is looking to leave the world of tunes behind. Uh he wants to sell his studio, he wants to make the profit, he, he wants to mm-hmm. cash in everything one last time, uh and and get out. Uh yeah, uh, I th- I think they're a story.
0: The thing I love about about this story, too, is that this movie feels like it's over for Eddie. Like, there's a part where he's like, all right, I took the pictures of Marvin and Jessica. I gave them over. It's all done. Now I'm going to reminisce here with my, you know, my bottle and my pictures. And the next thing we find out is that uh, Acne's been murdered.
1: He thinks he's solved all of his problems. He's yeah. gotten some money. He'll be able to pay off his debt. He says, uh, He says, I'll take you to Catalina. Right. Um, but really, I think I think it's very clear. This is just another step in his descent. All of that money is going into booze. He's got, it, th- this hasn't solved a thing for him. He falls no. asleep at his desk at a moment that arguably should be a moment of triumph. And and Acme, drunk,
0: you yeah. know, and so Acme is this embodiment of gags and what's, and again, there's nothing in here, as we've said, there's nothing in this script that isn't set up and paid off. So if we see an, a gag with Acme, we're going to get it paid off later. Like the hand buzzers and the, all those things. The um, invisible which, ink comes back. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like all of it comes back. And that feels a lot like, um, like back to the future for me. Mm-hmm. uh where you know we get all that great stuff at the beginning of the movie which comes back later and i'm sure that spielberg's influence it feels very like that m- much like that but yeah that it's it's a masterclass in setup and payoff for sure
1: the will is the photograph right it's that photograph yeah. that marty yeah. McFly looks at that changes and when the will when the when the language on the will reappears that is yeah. um that is the future has been altered oh i yeah. love that parallel that's great yep
0: yep Okay, Larry, you had a question pre-production. I'm going to ask it now. Who really framed Roger Rabbit?
1: I am so glad. I'm not going to do a Hercule <laughs> Poirot or, a, or, a, or a, a Columbo impression, but I thought about doing it. Um, okay, so at the end of the movie, uh, Judge Doom has dissolved into dip, and the various cartoon characters gather around him and go, we know he was a toon but who was he and we get a few clues they tell us it wasn't a, it wasn't no rabbit wasn't no duck uh, wasn't a woodpecker wasn't a, wasn't a pussycat they go, they go right around the room there but we never really get the answer to who judge doom is but i think there is an answer and i think the the clues are there if you look for them so so get ready to do another watch on this and tell me that i'm crazy I've heard it before, okay? But there, in Maroon Cartoons, there are a number of posters of various different characters, but the one character who does not appear in this movie who has a poster is Pistol Packin' Possum. He is dressed as a gangster, very similar to the way in which uh, the Toon Squad weasels are dressed, and he's always holding a gun with a very long barrel every single time uh and it is the exact same if you take a look at the gun that appears uh and tries to take a shot at at uh at um rk maroon um that gun shows up over and over again we never see who's holding it but my theory is it's pistol pack and possum and it makes sense pistol pack and possum is an arcane maroon cartoon character. He's got connections to maroon. Mm. He's always hanging from the ceiling by his tail, and his 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 uh, primary uh, mo is to drop the the tune who killed Eddie's brother. And the way in which uh, Marvin Agne gets killed is things get dropped on them from the ceiling, right? And and why frame? Roger Rabbit. Well, Roger Rabbit is the number one star at Maroon Cartoons. Pistol Mm -hmm. Pack and Possum, number two. Uh, And I think you put all of those things together and I think I've cracked the case, guys. I think Pistol Pack and Possum is Judge Doom. What do you think? Am I crazy?
2: I always trust Larry's theories. I feel like they're usually pretty educated. (laughs) Well, but I, here, here would here would be my question. So the question I have about Judge Doom, and then you tell me why Pistol Pack, and Possum would would have this motivation. Why why is he such a self hating tune? I know why he hates Maroon, and but why does he love highways? And why does he want to like get rid of all the other tunes? And sort of like yeah, I, like to me that motivation was always sort of like loosely drawn, and we sort of don't care. But as a character, I was just like watching this as like a, from a screenwriting perspective. I was like, what is this guy's deal? Why does he want to do this?
0: Well, I think his motivation is money, right? I think he sees that he thinks that tunes are on their way out. And there's kind of there's certain sort of allusions to that. But uh, this is the future. And yeah. I'm going to be a part of it. And we're just going to waylay anything that gets in our path. I think it's he- I, for me, it's that simple.
1: Uh, if we were going to go with with uh, uh, a stricter reason for it, I think Pistol Pack and Possum is very much a prohibition age character. Um, you know, we're, we're in the, the mm-hmm. gangster era of the 1920s, um, but we're past prohibition now and they're just not making cartoons about that anymore. Uh, and so he stopped getting work and turned to a life of crime. What was he going to do? We see Betty Boop. Is has is now you know yeah. cigars cigarettes she's a candy striper now she can't get work anymore I think that's what happened to him uh, interesting that I that is that is without evidence but that that is my head cannon for this uh, but uh,
2: yeah I mean I knew I knew you would have a good answer so well,
1: I have spent <laughs> maybe way too much time thinking about this
0: well it's fantastic let's do some pitches. We've got Roger Rabbit's Toontown Spin at Mickey's Toontown in Disneyland. Yes. We've got three animated theatrical shorts, Tummy Trouble, Roller Coaster Rabbit, and Trail Mix-Up. We've got a comic book series. We've got video games. We've got a proposed prequel and a proposed sequel that have never materialized to date. What would we do with this material? Well, who I want to start?
1: I wanna start off by saying I really do believe Bonkers to be the TV uh, sequel to this, but I also want to throw out the new Chippendale Rescue Rangers is kind of a sequel to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I think it okay. exists in the same universe. I would count it as one. Roger even makes an appearance in it. So uh, uh, my answer for this is change of venue. Uh, I don't want it to be a movie a TV show at all. I want to do a podcast where a couple of people get together every week and they're, uh, you know, they feel Roger Rabbit was framed. He's in jail. And every week they go over different aspects of the case, trying to clear. I want cereal. That's what I want. I want cereal where where every day we're trying to clear Roger Rabbit, because in our hearts, we believe him to be innocent, but the evident isn't there yet. My
0: goodness. That's, that that's so my pitch. Brilliant. That is so great. Thank you. Taj, you got, Taj, you got a pitch?
2: I, I mean, my pitch is like, can we just do anything with Roger Rabbit? Like, can we please <laughs> bring back Roger Rabbit? You can't even find anything with his face on it in Disneyland.
1: <laughs> oh. mm. He was there I, for a just, while.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I've done the Town experience and that ride is great. And it's like. It's just one of my most favorite characters in all of, you know. They used to have the, the warehouse.
1: They used to have the warehouse at what was at that time called MGM, uh, Disney MGM. Yeah. You could walk and you could play with the gags. It was so great. It was so great. Yeah. I miss it too.
2: Yeah, I would. So I would just love any way we can reintroduce the character uh, or in the world. And you talked about like Chippendale Rescue Rangers kind of touches on it. They sort of bring back that idea of like Toons exist. Uh, and I liked their spin on it where it's like you could get 3D'd <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> as opposed to you could move on from your 2D look to your 3D look. Uh, and I, I do wonder like what would a more modern take on Roger like do? Because the, the take that they do is so specific to like telling a story about Hollywood in the 40s and 50s and this transition from like the red car to the highway. So like what would be the modern equivalent of that? Like, going from no internet to internet and then what would happen to Roger rabbit as the internet comes around? Like, I don't know, some sort of interesting take, um, on what they've done, but just like literally anything, just bring Roger rabbit back. That's my plea.
1: (laughs) Sounds good to me.
0: Yeah. I love it. So the ink and paint club was Walt Disney's shorthand for the group of artists and animators he employed. And in nineteen ninety seven, I got to tell you all this before I tell you about my pitches. Oh no, no, no! So in in nineteen ninety yeah. seven, on the Disney Channel, there was a series honoring that title called the Ink and Paint Club, and that they showed cartoons. They showed old, old Mickey Mouse, old Goofy cartoons, old Donald Duck cartoons, that kind of thing. And this, of course, is the name of the club where Jessica sings and who framed Roger Rabbit, right? There used to be a place called Jessica's at Pleasure Island which is now Disney Springs. And it was a store that carried a Jessica fashion line. Oh, wow. Also not very satisfying. (laughs) Well, but but it was like, I promise, it was like oven mitts and pot. I mean, it was not like what you would think. (laughs) I think I I can pull off the dress.
1: I can pull off the dress. No question. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So... Here's my big want. So imagine you like, if you're listening, make it so. I want a real ink and paint club where you have to enter with the password Walt sent me. I would put it in Hollywood studios with the same kind of idea as the sci fi dine in theater, right? Only with live performances like at Raglan Road or the Hoopty Doo Review. That's what I would do. I'd make it. Oh, again. I love that. So dinner, uh, Supper Club Cabaret. I and it's go. just like,
2: and it's like one of the, it's like character experience, right? Because all the characters yes. are working in. Uh, yeah. Yes. But, but yeah. A and they can work there. It'd be great. Mm-hmm. A noirish uh, character. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. I would love, I would I, would, I, would love- I was going to say, I would be really sad, though, to not see Donald and Daffy having I a was going to say. A bit.
1: <laughs> why well, not could. pull, why not pull a phantasmic? Where you actually like shoot like a Donald in the cannon out of out of the piano towards the audience mm-hmm. and it like crashes in the back. I would love that. Yeah. Love it. Or like or like the Muppet Show and how that's kind of yes. a thing. Or
0: yeah, you could you could do it as a ride or you could do it as a supper club. I think it would be fun as a supper club. Supper
1: so. club is better. Supper, supper club is club better. Is Agreed.
0: Well, thank you so much, Taj, for coming and Uh, bringing your favorite movie to us to wrap up the season. What a treat. Yeah. This has been a, it's is a good movie.
2: Just one of the best. I'm so excited to have gotten to talk about it with you guys. Yay. Thanks for
0: all the insight you brought for sure. (laughs) Larry, it's the
1: end of season three. Yes, and and so guys, we're gonna take a bit of time off to get season four ready for you. Andy and I have our separate lists of what episodes uh, we're gonna do. We're gonna battle it out a little bit. Uh, so so this <laughs> we is don't a, really we don't
0: really battle. We no, That's... no, we
1: do a lot of yes and, um, but this is a great time to go through some of our older content it is also a great time to put in requests at our Facebook page we do take requests seriously um and uh you know if you if you really want us to to grow this thing it's a great time to leave reviews uh, especially mm-hmm. on on Apple's podcast uh ratings are great reviews are even greater uh yeah. and and maybe introduce us to some disney fans in your life
0: yeah share this podcast with another disney or your classic movie fans or play it in the car for your kids um they like it too um and again like larry said if you write us a review we would be so happy about that check out our facebook page you can tweet us at andy Redwine or at larry brenner six or you can drop us a line in our mailbag at once upon a disney podcast at gmail.com so until next time friends shave and haircut Two
1: Bits!